0: Welcome to another episode of The Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean Tobias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Julia Simmet and Jordan Goldstein to The Reboot Chronicles, newly announced Co-CEOs of Gensler, the world's largest architecture and design firm, founded in 1965, Gensler has expanded into a global powerhouse with 53 locations and 33 practice areas, which serve 3,500 clients in 100 countries, with about 6,000 employees that delivered over $1.8 in annual revenue last year. That's a mouthful, huh? With way too many awards and accolades dimensions, Gensler is consistently ranked as the number one architecture firm by architectural record, building construction design, interior design, and others, as well as a top innovation and collaborative leadership firm by companies like Fast Company and other groups. With this new co-CEO team beginning to take their company into now their seventh decade of operations, these two are going to guide the way most of us work, shop, travel, learn, play, and live in the physical world for decades to come. Julia, Jordan, great to see you.
1: Great to be here, Dean. Great to see
0: you, Dean. Yeah, it's great to have you on and uh, love talking about design and innovation and how it relates to business and what people are struggling with out there. And I never know where to start with people like you, but kind of a dynamic duo. Uh, We'll get into all that a little bit later, but maybe just start out with, you know, about 75% of companies are saying in this latest uh, poll that they're going to downsize their office space next year. Or the next year after that, right? That probably doesn't uh, matter. But there's still that hangover effect going on in the 20s. And um, is the modern office space dead?
1: Can I lean into that?
0: <laughs> Go for <laughs> it. That's you. okay. Those of you that aren't, uh, those of you who are listening and not watching on the video, Julie just shook her head violently. No.
1: No, Dean. The office is not the modern office or any office. It's is not dead right now. Certainly, you know, in our opinion, and we're working with many clients that are you know st- look at, looking ahead I, we what we believe is that it's really up to designers to make the office a destination and not an obligation and you know if you think of how some magazines talk about what's in and what's out you, we really believe the future of work as a compelling destination is what's in right now and return to office metrics are are out you know it's not really about counting all of these things and and we think that many of our uh, clients and other organizations now understand that the workplace Landscape has permanently changed, and and this idea of flexibility and experience is what's so important today, and and designing in that ability to change and to change easily according to the situation. So, you know, that's the challenge in front of us, but we're doing it, you know, in many ways. We're tackling that in many ways, and so I definitely do not think it's dead.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I would add, I think Julia said it well. Is like the uh, the workplace landscape is dramatically changed. So being able to look at this through the lens of experience and we've had so many projects now that have been going on since the pandemic that have really been allowing us as a firm to experiment you know with what's the what's the different recipes that make the workplace experience so differentiated and draws people back and how do you take that recipe and look at it what does that mean for places you know that are here in the us what does that mean in europe uh what does that mean in in asia And we're finding that, uh, that learning, you know, taking some of the research that we did about, you know, what would draw people back, um, you know, and make a, a, you know, a unique differentiated workplace experience. You know, how do you take that research and put it into action and create really the places and spaces that people want to be in to collaborate, to innovate, to learn, to train? And to be able to actually have focused work.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the the obligation versus <laughs> you know, destination is a great thing. Or participation maybe is a better a better uh, line. But it, it's. Um, I was thinking about this this morning prepping for the show. I'm like, God, what would my dad say? You know, major executive in the 70s. Like, what are you talking about? People are debating whether to come into the office. What's wrong with you people? And you have to make it look like Disney World to get them to come in. You know, I think Google and Yahoo started that years ago. You know, back in my Silicon Valley uh, uh, physical days, now we're, all of these tech companies are, are so remote. But what lessons have you learned and how is it making the office a better, collaborative, innovative? And what we really care about in Reboot Chronicles is growth. These companies need to grow. They don't need to have, you know, destination theme parks for their employees just to take the opposite extreme.
2: Um, what what are we learning? Well, we're learning a couple of things, one of which is sustainable design becomes a non-negotiable in the equation. Yep. Is just being able to not only have these places and spaces that, uh, you know, are bettering the environment, uh, but also that people can experience that, that they can feel that, that it actually creates from kind of that health and wellness standpoint, you know, an environment that actually feels better to be in. You know, we're doing projects. We're doing one for Under Armour. It's their new headquarters. It's a net zero building. And every inch of that building is not only going to be about performance, just like they're a performance apparel company. So it's going to kind of live the brand, but it's also going to live the mission, you know, of, of trying to be a more sustainable, uh, you know, uh, organization. But you can see it, you can feel it, just how that building is built, how the workplace is shaped. And it's something that's a reminder every day you know, to uh, a differentiated, uh, you know, experience. The other thing I think we, we've certainly seen, you know, is that, it's that notion of that kind of 20-minute neighborhood, you know, that live-work-play, you- being able to have that where I don't have to sit in a car for an hour, you know, so people being able to, you know, live and work in a proximity that allows there to be uh, a greater interplay for how your day is, is more fluid.
0: Yeah, I mean – Companies like Under Armour and I mentioned Google and others have, you know, they they're they're like a bank. They can afford to build whatever you guys design, and your your designs are amazing. What about the the companies that you know? Maybe we can't afford such. A, are we going to be losing out competitively because my space is not that effective or cool or have an impact on my uh, people?
1: You know, I think that's where companies can make. You know, it's almost like. We right now we're living in a, the luxury of uncertain times, and I know that sounds completely counterintuitive. But I think companies have the ability. A lot of people, you know, as you you started our conversation, Dean, with the you know the the challenge. I guess that companies have uh, are giving up space, or they have extra space, and and I think that that is true in many cases. Um, some companies and businesses are definitely growing, but the the luxury of uncertain times is really this ability to to use that right now. And, um, some firms and some companies are, you know, kicking the can a little bit or waiting to see how certain things play out. They're deferring real estate decisions. And in many cases, they have a little bit of extra space. They have some extra furniture. People aren't coming in all the time and it's a great opportunity to try new things. You know, there's no, there's no real risk there. And to leverage, leverage this time to try to, um, to try to, uh, excite people about what might work and to try different things and there's not a lot of risk in it so you can try different kinds of working environments different kinds of schedules different kinds of groups and teaming and moving around and and yeah. they can in general companies that don't have a, a a ton to spend on it as you just said can do that with the resources that they have and the assets that they have in place they've got a little space they probably have furniture and they've got the you know the luxury of
2: the <laughs> uncertain time. yeah yeah you know, one of the things we found is that uh, it doesn't always have to be hard construction, you know, so uh, being able to play around with uh, a different set of ingredients, you know, furniture and equipment finishes that can transform a space at relatively you know lower cost. And, uh, you know, ironically for us, one of the areas that has grown significantly is product design. We found that uh, these opportunities that, you know, that you were just mentioning give us a chance to actually Say, all right, well, there's actually not product that's on the marketplace that, it, that meets these needs. So how do we solve for that? So let's design some of these, you know, uh, products that fill a niche that kind of look, look for that blue ocean opportunity that can, you know, be more uh, flexible, that can mix, kind of fuse the hospitality, the workplace, the residential feel. Right. Uh, in a way that transforms a workplace without having to necessarily rely on hard construction.
0: Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, the hospitality sector has always been good at reskinning. And in some cases you don't need to actually reskin. You can d- work with your partners. I'm sure like Herman Miller and all the other guys that can design and build these things that allow you to keep moving stuff around versus every five, six, seven years you're, you're kind of reskinning. And, and what about, um, you know, before we jump into some more examples of that, because I just want to see what are the hottest areas in innovation-wise, though, so, um, a lot of questions came in about, you know, what's it like to do a co-CEO thing? So I teach CEOs and leaders at Kellogg. I don't have a class on co-CEOing. Um, I'll hold <laughs> my opinions back as to whether it's effective or not, but um, I actually like it. I know your company has a lot of culture and history in it, so it's not anything new. But, um, you know, what's that, uh, what's that like and why is it better?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I, I think Jordan and I both have pretty strong opinions about this, but it's you know we've uh, both been co's in a number you know in a number of different roles. We have that you know as you just said the co leadership model throughout our organization, from office leaders to practice leaders, and now we're obviously moving into the co CEO role. But it's it is a differentiator for us, and it's um, you know we instill a culture of collaboration through everything we do. It's a creative, you know, creative industry and that's how we work. And so we even, you know, that's how we lead as well. And we have three, over 380, I think co-leaders across the firm and it it gives oh, wow. us that's, that- that's, the,
0: that's heavy DNA, wow. That's,
1: that's heavy amazing. co, that's, yeah. But it gives us, you know, it stretches us. It helps us um, stretch in our, in our diversity, in opinions, to be more innovative, to bring in other ideas. Um, and it's it's more equitable, you know, to the core. I think. And with design, and, about, but, yeah. I mean, with
0: design and innovation, it's like that. What your challenges are, everything needs to be collaborative. So it, it makes sense to me now.
2: Yeah, it's like design is inherently a collaborative act. It's also inherently an optimistic act, and it's, you know, design uh-huh. is, you know, it's not it's not a solo art. And you know, I think we've in our in our profession in general, and certainly within Gensler, I think we've realized that you know uh, and I think we've we've really done this very well around the world is it's, you know the design can be made richer by more voices around the table not less and for us as a leadership team I think we've recognized that the co-model does something special especially you know related to our industry one is is, is it allows us both to keep a foot uh, in what we do every day yeah. to still have you know some key client relationships to really see how the industry is uh, changing, what are the new tools, what are the new technologies, and not just learn about them you know, at a macro level, but understand how they can really elevate and transform a project process. And then for us, you know, it also is a model where it's like you can look, everyone's got their aces and spaces, right? So mm-hmm. when you, you know, like for instance, for Julia and I, we kind of fit together in a way that we recognize that things that she's strong at Uh, things that I'm strong at, they're actually different things. So it actually working together uh, gives a chance for us to uh, have a a greater reach across the company. And then the last thing I'll say is geographically, Julia's sitting in London, I'm sitting here in Washington, DC, it allows us to bring, you know, a global perspective to our to our leadership.
0: Both of you are in the office on a uh, somewhat of a holiday weekend here in the States. And the so, you know, as a chairman, I've had chairman and CEO roles together for myself and separate and I've been chairman of companies. CEO. So, you know, sometimes one of us will take an outside role, clients, partners, speaking uh, the street, others, the other one will take more of an inside role. How, are you, are you thinking about it that way? How, how, how do you stay effective? I mean, where the buck stops, usually I, I could bring up a joke. The buck stops here. No, it stops here. No, it stops here. No but
1: it It will stop. We're very unified and very, you know, like-minded in that way in terms of being accountable and responsible, uh, people and and leaders and yeah. And leaning in, but you know, it's interesting. This is our, as you said, in your introduction, it's the year that we're going, you know, going into this role. So there's a lot that we are going to do to, you know, do together and in lockstep, I would say in year one, but it's, inevitable that we start to, you know, as Jordan just said, you know, kind of play to our strengths or the aces and spaces. And, you know, and it may be because of the geography or because of, you know, the kind of background that I have versus the, you know, what Jordan has, we've worked with different kinds of clients and all kinds of different things that will Probably lead to us dividing and conquering, you know, certain certain things or certain categories of things. All right.
0: You've uh, you've sold me. I need to add this as a maybe not a whole (laughs) class, but I definitely need a lecture. Maybe it's the uh, dean. Maybe it's the graduate class. Well, (laughs) mine. Ours are all MBA or executive ed. Oh, okay. These well, there you go. So you.
2: now it's the, uh, it's the three Oh
0: one, not the one. Yeah, it's, 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 it's four or four, 500 we're... level stuff. You guys uh, will we'll zoom you in on a couple of those. All right, let's go back to the fun stuff. Um, so <laughs> innovation, I just love your sectors, you know, work, lifestyle, yeah. cities, health, uh, travel. My, my favorite thing, obviously we've just had a couple travel CEOs on, I'm sorry, airline CEOs probably gonna do Marriott and Delta coming up. So I love that category and what's going on as we travel around the world. All three of us, you just the stakes get higher and higher and higher. It's like every airport wants to be Vegas now or whatever it is. It's um, is is that the most exciting sector right now? Hospitality, travel, because that's just what I see.
1: Jordan may have a counter argument for that. I would say, I'll just quickly mention that aviation is is booming right now. We absolutely see that in our business. You brought it up. Uh, SFO it needed, before. it needed a
0: reboot. Let's just face it. It's awful. I mean, as you it, go to O'Hare. You know, the old Turnbull is still there. It's, it's awful. As a Chicago guy,
1: there are pl- yeah, plenty of airports that need a reboot, and we're uh, and we're here to boot it. <laughs>
2: <Nice>. <laughs> but it's
1: um, no, the lo- the lounges are new. There's many concepts. You know, it is the airport as a as a new kind of destination, obviously, and um, you know, SFO really explored with the integrating the experience there. Um, I don't know, Jordan. Do you, I don't know if you feel that that that's yeah. Cool I mean, there's new. Uh, you know, the work we're doing. For-
2: <laughs> Work, yeah, the work we're doing for the new Pittsburgh terminal. Uh, just you know, if we're staying here, um, you know, in the in the states, um, but you know, also globally, I think uh, globally got it's more exciting.
0: It seems like the Middle East, China, all kinds of. Uh, I've seen some yeah, amazing. They just it, take off the governor, and it's like whatever you want to do, guys, do
2: it. Well, it, yeah, for us, it's you know, Julia mentioned aviation. We're we're seeing a lot of opportunity and a lot of growth in our hospitality, in our residential. Uh, And also in our sports practice, but what does it all kind of connect with? It's all really driven through experiences, you know, and being able to elevate the game, you know, whatever that is in that that perspective, you know, um, industry for, um, you know, for, for us, what we're seeing is that when we look at these opportunities. So if you take uh, sports, for instance, you know, it's, it's really thinking about the fan experience, not just in the venue, but beyond the venue. So a lot of the sports owners that we're working with are recognizing that it's not so much just about a stadium. It's really about, you know, a sports entertainment mixed use experience around it. So really being cognizant of the development opportunities for mixed use around an area, for residential, for other ingredients to work themselves in that really create uh, a unique uh, destination that can be 365 days a year, not, you know, only when a game is happening. You know, so like for instance in Milwaukee, the Deer District—that's a whole entertainment district around the arena. So even when there's an away game, there's still people gathering there and celebrating, being together, celebrating sport. You know, on the hospitality front, we're just seeing uh, tremendous growth, tremendous opportunities. You know, in destination uh, travel, really creating you know a more holistic resort experiences. So. Not just create create a great building, but that the entire the strategy for the place thinks about, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, having a um, a vacation there? What does it mean to have a whole range of experiences that can enhance the the and journey?
0: You're talking both new builds and re-whatever you call them, reboots?
2: Yeah, adapt- yeah, adaptive reuse, reposition, uh, new builds as well. And certainly in the residential, you know. Uh, In know, world, Julie and I are are seeing for our our residential practice, uh, you know, just uh, really interesting ways to explore um, residential uh, across multi, you know, multi-generations, you know, um, opportunities for aging in place, opportunities for, you know, young um, urban uh, experiences. So being able to have new ways, new models for living in cities, Um, and then also affordable housing. How do we tackle this in a way that um, starts to get more units uh, into the marketplace in, you know, as fast a way as possible.
1: You know, innovation is happening at the other end of the spectrum, maybe not as glamorous as some, you know, some people uh, believe when they think of architecture and design, but in the industrial and logistics and critical facilities right now is also, you know, a part of our, uh, a part of our uh, city sector that's really, really booming. And we're Working at making those facilities, the innovation is in them being um, having a better carbon footprint, being in, uh, more innovative in how they're built, the curtain walls, how they're grouped, the hyperscale. It's it's a very interesting area right now, and even the even the factories starting to incorporate robotics and thinking about the experience of the people that will work in those factories or those industrial locations, because it's a different level of worker that's going to be operating the automation, and they um, they've really got to manufacturers really have to think about how they attract the right kind of worker and maintain the right kind of quality. So there's a whole new, um, a whole new sector out there for us to focus on in a new way and bring experience to, the, to that part of that industry.
0: Yeah. How do you guys reboot the cities thing? Because in many of them, I'll take yeah. Chicago as an example, you know, old infrastructure, everything's built, people own things. Whereas in Vegas, you could build the, um, I forgot the, the uh, thing that you built, you're one of the first no. Yeah, not the, the, the sphere, the, the, the mall kind of thing that um, you were involved city in. City center, and, yeah. City center. Oh, city, city center. City yeah, center. Yeah. yeah, I think city a lot of people learn yeah. lessons there, you know, good and bad. And, 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 but do you find cities coming in and saying, listen, we can't control all this, but we can. We're the infrastructure guys. So are they going, if you take like a Mexico City, yeah. are they re-go- we're going back and saying, hey, we need to do some eminent domain here and, and start over? Because
2: just like the airports, they're out of space. Yeah, the city dialogue for us has been really uh, transformational. What we have found is, you know, before the pandemic, we were talking about, you know, a narrative uh, really about, you know, using the power of design to really shape uh, the future of our cities. And what we found is it was really catching on. And then you had the pandemic that just accelerated the need to really bring impact uh, into the cities. And what we're finding is that the dialogues are public and private sector kind of coming together. Often where we're the kind of conductors in that symphony mm-hmm. that are bringing these different voices to the table, which really um, brings opportunities to do a couple things. One, what's what's the new north star for that city? Right. In many cases, some of the cities don't have one. So how do you help get that clarity? And second, you know, how do you um, come in with unique ways of incentivizing and, you know, accelerating studies and development? And that's where I think it gets really, uh, you know, really interesting where we're able to look at, you know, how are we um, bringing, you know, new ideas together with public sector and private sector uh, that can really start up projects. You know, they can actually instigate um, new ways of, of thinking about downtown areas.
0: Yeah, you mentioned you're a conductor, so maybe some. I bet some days you're more like an arbitrator, but you're you're kind of bring, <laughs> you're bringing in that perspective that they need because they're not all the. Uh, let's face it, you know, some of them aren't the sharpest tools in the shed, right? And they're getting a lot of pushback with the public-private, you know, profit motive, right? And right. Uh, yeah, I just find uh, I, that was my guess. So they, that probably is a really challenging area. Um, can we talk about something that I? I um, I used to be chairman of Okta. We sold it to Salesforce as one of the top digital design firms. And so how does, well, I'll just throw out my bias first, typical Dean, but it's like, I I always (laughs) notice that physical design and digital design, those two really don't talk to each other much. So you get some flat screen thrown up in a lobby and it looks like crap and nobody's engaged. And so that was maybe 10 years ago, but you know, there's more and more interactive stuff, not just in museums. So what have we learned and, and how are you guys seizing that, opportunity to uh, bring digital and physical design together so people do have these immersive fun environments that they actually want to be you know using for instance like you mentioned sports sports spent tons of money doing interactive games and stuff in and around the stadium but you know the first couple of phases of that were i would call them a b minus um whereas what you just said about sports to really tie it all together it seems like a massive opportunity is that is that a practice area now or is this future stuff we can't talk about
2: now we get happy to talk about it. Now, I mean, Julie and I, uh, one of the practices we're super excited about is around it, it's it's literally called immersive experiences, really, uh, really. and you know, it, 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 yeah, and it's <laughs> it's <you> recognizing <laughs> exactly what you said. <laughs> we'll take that, yeah. Uh, is recognizing exactly what you Hold on, exactly you said, Hold on. okay, got it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh man, beat us to it. The yeah. fusion of of digital and and physical uh, environments. Digital, I guess, use the word that you hear a lot these yep. days, right? Uh, for us, it was twofold: recognizing that we had talent already within the company that we're exploring, kind of the f- pushing the realm of experiential design. Um, at the same time, you know, we we brought in uh, Bob Weiss, who uh, formerly was the uh, president of Disney Imagineering, yeah, sharp, sharp, um, okay. amazing guy, okay. and a couple other players to uh, look at it from that kind of dual perspective at the same time. And then add into a layer, another layer of that, which is we've really been exploring, you know, proactively, you know, AI uh, in the design process. And what does that mean for uh, for us to think differently about how the toolbox has changed for architects and designers? And what does that allow you to do? And how does it allow you to iterate and think differently about these, you know, these, you know, unique environments? And one last thought on the, um, immersive experiences, the opportunities we're getting now are really interesting. It's brands coming to us that says, you know what, like we want to create a space that allows people to experience the brand, right? Right? And it's not about, oh, you go in and it's a car company and you see a car. It's about really experiencing the attitude, you know, and the vibe of that brand in a way that's very immersive. Uh, It's, you know, it's something that you walk away uh, with a memorable experience Uh, and something that potentially connects you to that organization, that brand, in a way that you weren't before. So, can you
0: pump in like the new car smell into the? Uh, it it's multi
1: century There's no doubt in my mind that we could. That's the things like that actually are what the our teams, our team members are finding incredibly inspiring. And you know, Jordan mentioned uh bob he and he has a relatively small team because they're really the producers and they're encouraging just the fact that they're there and they know how to pull in all these different kinds of experts that do the you know that do that the technological part of it and pull it together and these incredible ideas but it's really elevating the creativity in the firm and of of, you know our team members they want to listen to the clients and understand where those opportunities are to you know to elevate the design and to take it to the next level and to really collaborate with clients to solve for these, you know, yeah. these big, big challenges. And
0: yeah. partners too, I bet. Because, cool. you know, they're all out there, all those digital guys. It's like all you need to do is be the conductor, as you said, or the. Or, yeah,
1: the producer, <laughs> the conductor. Yeah.
0: The, um, yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, one last thing on design, um, digital and, and physical. Do you do a lot of ethnography first where you go out in the field and watch the yes. traditional, you know, IDEO kind of esque. Uh,
2: t- type approach?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Not, yeah, not that they own it kind
2: of, or anything, but just, that's what most people think. Sure. No, you, you have to do it, um, to, to go in. Uh, and what that's, we've always prided ourselves on being good listeners, yeah. uh, and being able to, uh, really try to understand the context. So, you know, these days more so than ever before you, to like, look at all the data points, right? So it's the, you know, who's the, Who's the end user? Who's that customer? Who's that fan? You know, who's that worker? Um, and what what's their pain points? And really trying to distill those down, but then adding in from our research institute, you know, all these different lanes of data that are coming in through that. So you talked about digital, you know, what does it mean to, you know, weave it in? Like if look at like workplace, what does meeting equity look like when you're fusing digital and physical? You know, it's not the days of a Forty-two inch flat screen on a wall, yeah. right? So it's got to be something no, no, different. A, yeah, such yeah,
0: most people say, no, it's a hundred
2: inches now. I'm like, no, that's not the point.
1: <laughs> no, listen to Jordan. <laughs> listen well,
2: to you, Julia, you know, Julia and I, Julia and I just came from our. We were in Mexico City for a week. We had our, um, we had a leadership meeting down there, but it was a chance to meet the, the hundred person team, nice. uh, and they just moved into a new office. There's a room in that office that is an immersive space um it has a whole series of projectors short throw projectors and audio and a whole series of kind of visual cues set up so you can walk in and be immersed in a digital environment while you're standing in a physical physical one so we can take clients on that journey long before a shovel hits the ground in a way that we couldn't before yeah love that
1: i always think too you know we you know there's an art and a science to you know to the beginning of a project for us, or that early conversation, and we're finding it more and more beneficial to, you know, to get further upstream. And, you know, since there's other CEOs on the um, on the call, you know, one of the things that I know Jordan does this, and I do it too, and it's the way we still stay engaged in the business is by having that one to one or one to if they're co's <laughs> one to two conversation initially with the CEO to help talk about the things that may not, you know, may not be on the table as you start to, you know, do a broader um sort of programming or you know, focus group um engagement. And it's always, you know, it's great to understand where's the third rail. What is it that they're really trying to achieve in the business? What are we seeing? And it's there are these great conversations that really help us go down the rabbit hole and, and deliver something that's really, you know, really unique and really important to that business and helps drive yeah, that I love business it. forward.
0: You guys have yeah. a perfect playground. I love the way you're taking design and making impact out of it. You know, just a couple of minutes left before we go out. The um just any personal reboot stories, big challenges you've been through that uh, you know maybe might even help the next generation or even attract them to this field potentially?
2: Joy, you want to go yeah, first?
0: Yeah, sure.
1: You know, I um, I think that you know the reboot, just this, you know, the uncertain times, as I mentioned before, is really is buying us the time to um to reboot. And I have worked with a couple of clients recently that have you know, optimize that I've kind of have said this too many times, but the luxury of uncertain times and they have, um, really taken the time to, to pivot and use this as a, you know, as a catalyst for change, this whole you know time that we're undergoing
0: yeah.
1: and the, smart ones you know, have. The, the specific, yeah, the smart ones have and the specific client I'm thinking of is, um, you know there's a lot of space on the market they they probably had an organization that was going to favor business as usual as we're coming out of that with a few little tweaks hmm. and and so on but the the CEO looked up and saw that there's a lot on the market there's a lot of different kinds of things on the market he was thinking about in this conversation how to build business how to make up for lost time with the people that didn't have that day-to-day mentoring and this possibly this bubble that's coming through the uh the population through the system of people that have been working at home and maybe don't have the skills anymore or haven't continued to grow the skills to grow (laughs) the business and to, you know, to mentor others. And he pivoted, he went to an environment that's completely different from, you know, business as usual or where they have been as a, as an industry historically and certainly as an organization. And he chose a building with amenities that big tech had ama- abandoned. There's a great number on it and and um, is going to create this whole, whole new culture of learning how to build business and, you know, and building business in their organization. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. And it's a big step, but it was a smart business decision. And so, you know, I think in the world of real estate, amidst all of this um, change that we're going through or people waiting in the uncertain times, there are some Great opportunities out there to dive, you know, to dive into that aren't nearly the risk they would have been, you know, yeah. a few years it's ago. Got to be a
2: got to be a bold leader, Jordan. How about you? Yeah, yeah. You know, Dean, I was just thinking about a personal reboot, uh, and it was a professional one as well. And it was really, you know, in two thousand and eight and nine when the uh, economy went off a cliff, yeah. and we were all wondering, you know, where's the work going to come from, and yeah, you know, how do we keep the lights on? And I just remember. You know, uh, following a client lead that, uh, you know, from here and um, from D.C., that took me very quickly to India uh, and then over to China at a time where, you know, we were really just kind of getting going in those markets. Um, And, you know, all of a sudden getting introduced to markets where they weren't experiencing the same, you know, churn that we were. So I found myself in China uh, with a significant opportunity at the time it was for Duke University to do a new campus for them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in China. And, you know, certainly, as you know, from the academic world, you you may get an occasional building on a campus or an addition to a building, but an entirely new campus from scratch. You know, I realized um, for us, for Gensler, this was a real big reboot moment. Um, and it was an opportunity to bring work, uh, you know, back and forth, connecting in with our you know, our Shanghai office to our DC office, bringing in other skills, um, that was allowing people to work on project types that, you know, certainly weren't happening in that, you know, in that market, uh, and moving, um, talent around in a really borderless way. So the reboot for me was recognizing that, you know, here, here we were in, you know, in a pretty dark moment, being able to find a bright light and realize that, um, you know, working across borders with opportunities can, you know, really um, give us a chance to grow into new areas, tap talent in ways we didn't think we could do it. And frankly, I think paved the way for us to think of ourselves now, even more so as a borderless company yeah. where we are literally working across geographies, cultures, you know, uh, borders every day. I love it.
0: Yeah, In dark times, you need different flashlights or in your case, a uh, plane ticket, I guess. <laughs> Julia, Jordan, I want to thank you for uh, joining us. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to Julia Simmet and Jordan Goldstein with the co-CEOs of Gensler. This is Dean Tobias with the Reboot Chronicles. I want to thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you soon.